With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. to the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It has been a crazy few weeks ever since we have last spoke. Uh, obviously, I've been doing Nuggets numbers over the past couple of weeks, but we haven't been doing the Denver Stiff Show a lot ever since the, the primary news broke that the NBA season was being put on hold. It's been kind of crazy. It's been very different, a very different environment without the NBA in this particular situation. It's not quite like the offseason, but we definitely don't have a season. So to help me break it all down, I've brought on a couple of my favorite people. Uh, First one, Deputy Site Manager, Zach Mikosh. Zach, how are you doing, man? I am doing well. Still healthy, still uh, alive. So that's that's, uh, as much as you can ask for, I think, at this time. Can't can't argue with that. Uh, been in a situation where it's it's always it's always very tough to every time you cough. Basically, it's it's a little bit panicky. Uh, let me has, uh, let me tell you. I was saying my my seven year old got strep throat this week. Oh which, my god! <laughs> right. So strep throat. You you get you get a fever. You can get a cough out of that. Uh, so yeah, it is. Um, don't take anything for granted. And let me tell you, I've never been happier to hear strep throat. Uh, in my Jesus. life was this that's week. that's insane uh well good health to the mikosh family uh writer and podcaster extraordinaire nick herzog is also with us nick how are you doing man good guys how you doing eh, pretty good pretty good hard to yeah hard to complain it's it's been a full house at at the the blackburn household uh so that's that's been a quite the interesting experience are, are you feeling cramped over the course of the last couple of weeks not I don't know, not so much cramped. I like I basically started self quarantining uh almost right after I I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago, um, arguing for the NBA shutdown just like a couple hours before it happened. Um and then at that point, I you know, I, I kinda thought I was arguing for something that should happen like in a week or two, probably. You know, I, I like I didn't see anything as quick coming as, as right. what happened. And I, I was still kind of coming around on how serious I sort of was taking this. And I mean, just things have changed. That feels like a lifetime ago. Like <laughs> I, I basically, I don't know the day after the NBA shut down, I pretty much started self quarantining because my wife works uh, for one of the major hospital systems in town and she's all over at all the different hospitals all the time. So I'm just assuming I'm going to get it or I have it already, or I've had it already. Um, so I'm tr- trying to do my part not to spread it around if that's the case. So I've been shut in for a while. I'm not, yeah, it's just the two of us. So I'm not particularly cramped. We don't have kids, but, um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not playing as many video games or enjoying my sort of free time away from work as much as I, I wish I would be. 
video games. I don't know if anybody else is finding that hard, but video games have become an essential part of my life. Not gonna lie, uh, there there are times. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm playing plenty of them, but just, <laughs> it's much more reasonable than I would be expecting. What's what's your go to video game of choice? Um, my go to time killer is Civilization. Any of them? Yes. Uh, I've been playing the newest ones. Um, I've been really into XCOM lately too. Uh, that's kind of my late night, uh, like after my wife goes to bed, kind sure. of thing that'll keep me up till three in the morning or whatever. Um, and uh, StarCraft is the the game I play with friends. Classic. Okay. Yeah, you're, no you're a lot more old. classic games guy. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm, um, I'm definitely not. What about you, Zach? Like, do you have a go to video game? So I've been uh, I've been playing a lot, of, a lot of Civilization as well. I'm a big fan of Sid Meier and everything that mm-hmm. he makes. All the way back to the Alpha Centauri days. Oh, totally. Oh, exactly right. Classic again. Um, I played. Uh, I've got a Switch, which I don't think gets nearly enough love because I think the Nintendo Switch is like is just awesome and, and its game catalog is awesome. So they've got a game on there um, called Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is just a great great time eater because it's really it's highly dialogue based. So you've just kind of got to like sit there and 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 listen to these people kind of tell this story to you for a lot of it. So it like, you know, it, it's not really a bunch of action, but it still kills a bunch of time. And the story is really good. Uh, so it's, it's kind is of, is that like, a turn-based thing too? Yeah, exactly. And it's a turn-based right. uh, strategy as well. So it's civilization. It, um, yeah. Right. Right. So it's kind of, um, it's like I said, it's a good time killer and it, it's been a good story. So I played that one a lot. And then, uh, you know, I got FIFA, I got NBA 2k. Those are always good to, to kill an hour here or there. And, uh, see how bad I want to get beat up by some twelve-year-old kid who's home from school right now, but <laughs> that's that's nothing new. That's the story of every video game. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I I don't really play a lot of sports video games anymore. I used to get every NBA two K I could, uh, but to me it's just too much grinding, and and there are a lot of situations in those games where it just it it feels very repetitive over and over and over again, Agreed. and that's just something that I'm I'm not really a fan of. I like it to be progressive. I like it to be. Uh, rewarding for when you reach certain levels. Uh, to me, it's it's not as rewarding as it should be. Uh, can I tell you a secret? I have no idea what civilization is. Oh my god, you are oh. young. Ooh. Ooh. I know. You it's, should, it's, uh, I you may not play. be your... I don't know if... Like, I will say, I've played a lot of video games in my life. I don't think there's any game other than World of Warcraft that has consumed more of my life than Civilization in total like because i've been playing it since i was i don't know 11 what's wh- what is the um, style of game like is it a strategy game is it what is it yeah it's a turn-based strategy game so you start off with a you start off in like in an ancient era with a settler and you found a city and then from there you build an empire you know and so you, you develop okay. technologies and time progresses so as you develop more technologies you get new units you, you expand your civilization and then there's different ways of winning. You can win by taking over the world. You can win by going to space first, et cetera. So, um, but it's a yeah, it's a turn-based thing. So it's got this really addicting kind of like, you know, next turn sort of thing. Where it's just, it's really hard to like stop pressing enter. Right. Yeah. Do you exactly. do you play against other people? Like, is that the you can okay mm-hmm. yeah okay or against like computer simulated? There's always like yeah, there's like other factions in the world, right? And you're you've got to either you can either like. Um, you can side with them and become allies with them. You can go to war with them. You can try to ignore them, but they're generally pretty annoying and will eventually mm-hmm. bug you about something you're doing. Just uh, like the real world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there's all different different things, right? So if like you choose a certain political system, well, that might make, make another faction who has a different uh, political system that's different than yours angry. And so now they're going to... They might, you know, pass sanctions on you or something like that, or go to war with you, and 
all, all those different cool. kinds of things. Yeah, it's got a lot of layers to it too. That I mean, the religions involved. There's uh, commerce plays an important part in the game. All sorts of and there's all sorts of different ways of winning. Like you can actually win by like having your faith take over the world or by uh you know having oh. um okay. <laughs> a, a super powerful yeah or having like a super powerful diplomacy where you like you become like the most popular civilization in the world basically or all right. things like that so yeah well, it's kind of a way of playing out like a revision of history that seems fun uh, that kind of reminds me like i love the assassin's creed games and they yeah. are kind of they're different from that but to me it, i always feel like i'm i'm learning a little bit when i play assassin's creed just based off of the different eras based off of just being in those worlds and and in those systems and it's assassin's creed odyssey is the one that it's my time killer it's the one where you play three four five hours in a row just just uh grinding out different skills and and doing different missions things of that nature but it's also just visually very aesthetic very appealing um when I like right now, I'm playing Call of Duty Warzone, Apex Legends, things like that. I'm very much in that class of twelve year old waiting at home trying to <laughs> kick your butt on on the sticks, if you know what I mean. Uh, um, is Fortnite still a thing? Like, do the kids still do that? Or yeah, it's it's still a thing. They're they're Apex is bigger now, isn't it, or something? Apex is know. is the new popular one where. It's basically of the cut from the same cloth, but I think they've done a lot better stuff with it, and it's less cartoony. It's more of a, it's it's more of a first person shooter style, as opposed to uh, Fortnite, which is very not a first person shooter style. Uh, I like it though, and and Call of Duty Warzone is all the way over there. Like that is that is the, as first person shooter as you can get in those situations, and that's a lot of fun. That map is super huge. Um, but yeah, hey, video games. That's that's especially guys like that's that's just what we want to do during this time it's it's very much you get into your own little world and i'm very happy with with having a couple of video games that could just eat away hours of my time especially during this during this time where we're kind of locked up at home and need a little bit of entertainment so let us know down below or or on twitter if you're listening to this like what your video game of choice would be what you would want to play and hey if if we have the same game then you can add me add me on xbox live uh, that's right absolutely crush if you're a 12 year old looking to crush the site manager <laughs> yeah hey i honestly no ego except i do get very angry when i die so that's uh that's something that actually happens um uh, what is what is your guys's uh work life been like ever since coming home so my work life is fairly uh fairly still well in terms of what i normally like do or like my work routine it's it's not a ton different i'm like totally confined to working from home now whereas before you know as, as kind of a, as on the sales side of thing like you, you really write your own schedule you kind of do what you want as sure. long as the money is coming in that's really at least with my boss that's all that matters um I'm not, that's not all that matters. I still have to do things ethically. Don't want people to get the wrong idea, but um, you know, he's he's not a micromanager anyway. He's he's like, hey, as long as you know, as long as you're hitting your 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 sales goals and everything is fine. Um, but as as uh, for those people who don't know, I work in in um, electrical construction, large scale, a lot of a lot of hospital work uh, is what we do, uh, along with data centers. Those are two um essential uh essential workplaces and so we've been classified as essential so every all of my guys are still out there working in those areas but all these other other, other little jobs that we have um that might may, might not be considered essential 
are are you know are getting shut down for one year not for one for all for the same reason for the coronavirus so um it's been very hectic on that end is it's we are constantly every single day it's something new i have a we have a 3 p.m meeting now um with all of our project managers, our business unit directors, uh, and then the executives are doing the same thing at 7 a.m. just to basically go over the news that has happened that, that just that day. So you, you think about that, man. You have that many people all sitting in an hour-long meeting. You start yeah. to think about the dollars per hour that's costing um, and, and instead of being able to work on what we normally work on, you know, and it's just – it's crazy how you do start to see the effect, and, and construction is kind of one of those things that really um, is kind of on the forefront of, of, of economic trends, right? We, we typically see things uh, earlier than other people because, you know, when people when people's budgets and things start to tighten, what's the first thing they start to drop is building new things. Um, and, and so it's it's right now, it's kind of we're in this really weird spot where, okay, we're keeping moving, we're keep working, but we're all kind of waiting for this cliff, right? We're all waiting to see it just drop off. We haven't yet, so I guess that's good news, but... Um, it's very. It's just a very strange, strange time in the construction world right now. Uh, Nick, what about you? I know for those of you who don't know that Nick is an author. Nick is Nick is doing his book and has been trying to figure things out on that end. How has anything changed for you from from yeah. the at home perspective? Yeah, because I I mean so I've just kind of done pieces of things to sort of support myself as I'm as I'm pursuing a, a writing career and. Uh, I had a, a, a good um, look like it was going to be a steady gig writing for the travel industry. Um, I did a big project in, in uh, December and January for a big travel site and they were going to be launching a new website. Um, and it was it was a really lucrative project and it was supposed to be like ongoing work for like the next year at least, if not longer. And uh, the travel industry is not doing so hot right now. Um, yeah, I got to say. I don't know if you guys yeah. have heard, but yeah, um, this company uh, that I was working for, they had something like 300 employees. They are down to 30. Oh, my and God. They're not, yeah, they're not sure that they're going to even be able to keep their doors open much longer if they don't get a, some sort of money from the government, I think. So that's how quickly that changed. I mean, re- like, I mean, it was, uh, you know, a month ago I was I was I was having the whip cracked on me to, to bust out work for these guys because they were they were trying to get this website launched like asap to to hit uh the the travel season um and <laughs> now they they may not even stay in business a uh, multi-million dollar company so yeah that so that's been wild and then i do i do web design and graphic design and other freelancing stuff that all that stuff's dried up my backup when i don't have work is uber and <laughs> uber uh i don't really I, there are probably some uber drivers still out there doing their thing i i, I appreciate you guys uh, for me, with a, a wife that works at a hospital, I am terrified that I could have this thing at any point and have no idea that I have it. That's that's really my my main worry. And so I'm not going to go out and drive around Denver and drop people off all over town <laughs> after being in my car that's infected, you know, potentially um, if, if I end up getting this. So, yeah, so that's where I'm at. So thank you to the government for sending some money um my way if they end up passing this bill i don't this is not a political statement i have no idea if this is the right thing to do or not but i appreciate some money um so uh i don't think you're alone in that regard thank you for that that seems um. like very very much like i mean hey going for three hundred money yeah (laughs) Yeah. pro money that's a hot take over here yeah Um, in the meantime i'm trying to look at it as if the government is paying me to write a book 
right now. So hey, there that's you go. my that's my new oh, responsibility. Oh. I feel like yeah, I feel like they really want my book out there in the, in the public. Yeah, and for me, it's nothing has really changed that much. My brother came home from spring break for uh, he was at UCLA, which I, obviously that probably helps. People will perk their ears up at that because UCLA, being in California, being in Los Angeles, it's very, uh, very populous area. So we're we're quarantining him basically, and because he's in the same house as us, we're basically all quarantining my my family. If you guys don't know, I'm I'm at home right now, just focusing on the blogging stuff until I can move downtown at some point. And it's it's looking like I probably won't be moving downtown very very soon, just because it's it's really hard to. Uh, put together a bunch of a bunch of money for something like that when you have no idea what else is coming and and this is this entire thing has been super crazy uh, for Denver stiff specifically it hasn't been like nothing has really changed that much in terms of how we get our work done uh, being bloggers it's it's actually probably slightly easier that people are confined to their homes it's uh it's more likely that people are are in front of their computers or in front of their tablets or whatever, and they're writing. And, and that has definitely made things easier on that front. But obviously with the NBA stopping and kind of being in complete, uh, like, like full halt, it's, it's, it's not like it's just the off season where, you know, things are going to continue to progress. This is literally a full stop where you have no idea what's going to go. So, we're going to talk about that a little bit in the next couple of segments, talk about a couple of players that I that I profiled over the last couple of weeks, and hope you guys that were interested in some of that uh, view into our home lives, because I think it's, it's important for us to understand that myself, Nick, Zach, everybody at Denver Stiffs, we're all people too. We are all dealing with the same issues and trying to figure out how things, how best to go from here. So... Uh, keep that in mind, and we will continue to put out as good of content as we can. And when we come back, we are going to talk about Jamal Murray and Jeremy Grant. Hi, we're back. This is the Denver Stiff Show. I'm Ryan Blackburn here, uh, joined today with Zach Mikosh and Nick Herzog on the other line. Uh, Guys, I want to talk about Jamal Murray and Jeremy Grant because I have this distinct belief that they are number two and number four in terms of the top four most important nuggets going forward. And I don't know if everybody shares that belief with me. I think nobody really needs to be sold on Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. But for some reason... Jamal Murray has drawn a lot of criticism based off of his play relative to the max contract that he signed. Jeremy Grant is also very polarizing for a lot of people because when he's been on the floor, the the team hasn't played their best basketball. So I wanted to get it from you guys specifically. I just made a statement that I said Jamal Murray and Jeremy Grant are the second and fourth most important players on this team going forward. Nick, uh, how are you doing with the with the belief that Jamal Murray and Jeremy Grant are massively important for this Nuggets team going forward? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. I mean, I my issue with Murray, I think, is that I just don't have a clear sense of what his sort of trajectory is at this point. Like, if you told me that in eight years from now that Murray was averaging 18 points and four and a half assists a game and was shooting basically identical to what he's shooting now, 
like that wouldn't surprise me. Like I, I at this point after four seasons of him and 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 watching him progress the way that he has, like I wouldn't be shocked if this is if this is top Jamal Murray. At the same time, I would not be surprised because he's so young, you know, but he just turned 22, right? So he's 23, still, 23. Okay. So he's still super young uh, because he came into the league uh, crazy young. He was like what the youngest player in the NBA, second youngest player when he came in. Um, so it, I, I think that the, the fact that he came in so young is why I'm having a, a difficult time gauging like where he is in his progression. Like, are we, you know, if, if we took a player who was like 21 or 22 who came into the league and then we looked four years into their career and they're 26, 27. And we said like, do we think we have a pretty good sense of who this player is? Yeah. Like I, I think you probably would. Now, obviously there's some years of college basketball that would be left out there in that progression. So it's not a totally fair comparison. Um, so I don't, I have no issue with somebody saying that they see Murray being like a second all-star to Jokic, somebody who can be the second best player on a championship team as an all-star and, and somebody who can be the the, the point guard that can lead this team through series after series. I I'm not going to challenge that. I just personally am having a tough time saying that I for sure see that is where this is going. Yeah, I totally hear that. It's uh, he is definitely a, an interesting piece because you're right. He just turned 23. It's not the same general track that a Damian Lillard or Steph Curry was on. Those guys were three years, four years into college before they first got to the NBA. And then when they got there, they were already pretty good. They were already kind of at the level that maybe uh, Murray is right now, or at least very close to it. Uh, And it hasn't been perfect. He hasn't shot the ball at a 40% clip for the entire season from three he hasn't been putting up 20 plus points per game consistently he started doing that a little bit more over the past uh over the past 15 games or so before uh the season shut down but it isn't perfect it wasn't ever going to be like a he was definitely not perfect in terms of this guy is definitely going to be Damian Lillard. This guy is definitely going to be Stephen Curry or at that level. Uh, So I totally understand why people would be a little bit hesitant. What I will say is that he's 23 and Damian Lillard was 22 when he was a rookie. Uh, Steph Curry was 21 when he was a rookie. These guys were still very old when they came into the league and trying to figure things out. Jamal Murray's figuring things out at his own pace and the Nuggets paid for hoping that he would get to that point. I don't think he's at that point yet, but he's a lot closer, I think, than than most people would say. Uh, with regard to Jeremy Grant, Zach, are you back yet? I'm back, sir. Okay, all good. Let's let's stick with Murray then. Uh, how much of that did you catch? We were we were with uh, Murray is... Oh, go ahead. No, I said basically none of it. So I just, if you, if you give me the question, I'll give you my thoughts. Yeah, no, of course. Uh for some reason, Jamal Murray has really drawn a lot of criticism just based off of his play relative to the max contract. Uh, where are you at with him right now? Where are you at with the kind of the approval rating, I would say, for what he has done? If a 50% is uh, you're basically exactly, you're no more nor le- no less than what I expected from you, where would Murray be on that? Is he is he good? Is he great? Is he less than what you expected based off of expectations 
Yeah, I'd say, so if we're going to do it by the percentage thing, we said 50 is right, you know, kind of like right where you would thought he would be, I guess, going to season. I'm actually, I'm probably about 60%, honestly. But it's just because that he had that, when he came back from injury, right, he had that great run. And there were, I mean, there were games that flat out Jamal was, was you know, winning. I mean, Jokic was playing great during that time period as well. But Jamal was, a lot of nights, the best player on the team. Um, and, and I thought we finally saw there in January, February-ish, um, what kind of the vision of this team has been since they've, they've given these two guys the big contracts. Like, I think we finally saw those two guys carrying this team to wins uh, every single night and, and the Nuggets having success with that formula. They, they struggled a little bit after the All-Star break, and, and I don't know that I would put that all on Jamal. In fact, I probably... Um, I probably wouldn't. It's kind of like hard. You have to run your memory now to remember games that were two weeks ago. With everything it seems else like happened. a lifetime ago, doesn't right. it? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> on it, totally hear you. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I listen. It's people get hung up on the money, and I do too, because he has paid a ton. He's got he's a max contract guy, right? And is he a max contract player? Yeah, not really. I don't think you're getting what you would what people typically think of when they think max contract in terms of production. Uh, you know, because they think of like an all star, right? A guy who's who's gonna be a player who leads you into finals contention. They think when people hear max contract, they think LeBron James, they think Kawhi Leonard, they think Giannis Antetokounmpo. They don't think Jamal Murray, but th- that's just more I think of a of just not a a, a full understanding of kind of way the salary cap works and NBA economics work. Um, I fully understand why the Nuggets gave him that max deal and why they had to give him that max deal. It's, I did, I guess, so I guess that's what it comes down to. I didn't never really expect him when they handed him that contract, like, oh, suddenly Jamal's going to be an all-star player. No, I think that's something he's going to work up to. And like you said, he's only 23. He's still got plenty of time um, to get there. So I've been pleasantly surprised or was pleasantly surprised with the late development that we were seeing um, right before the season got shut down, and he, how he did seem to start to take that step in being a guy that you know is is someone that you're you're putting your game plan together with. Like obviously the Nuggets are going to run their offense through Jokic, but it's become now to the thing where it's okay we're running our offense through Jokic, and how are we doing that to also get the best opportunities for Murray, and 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 that worked. So that to me has a little bit surprised because I kind of expected Murray to just be. You know, Murray, like, kind of a streaky shooter who, when he gets hot, like, he can shoot the lights out. And when he's not, like, you got to find someone else to, to help get you there. And, and I think he's been a little bit more than that this year. Yeah, totally, totally there with you. I did a little bit of data work uh, for my Nuggets Numbers podcast a couple of weeks ago. And what I found was that he was definitely more consistent than where he was uh, last year. It was, and he, he, his numbers were about the same, don't get me wrong, and he didn't have as many highs this year, but I also don't think he had as many lows to the point where you were really worried about, oh man, Jamal put up a dud, he only put up six points, and he only, he shot one of 12 from the field. I feel like those were a lot more common last year than they were this past season, so that's definitely a thing where you don't always get to that top level every time, and playing with Will Barton, playing with other players that he's also had to share touches with, obviously playing with Nikola Jokic, I don't think he's ever going to be a 25-point-per-game scorer. Like, he could be on his own team. But it's not necessary for the Nuggets to win games for Murray to also be that level of player. And my general vision of this Nuggets team features 
all three of Murray, Porter, and Jokic averaging about 20 to 23 points per game, depending on, like, it, it, it could be a little bit less than that, it could be a little bit more than that with somebody, but at their ceiling, at their apex, that's what I would say, and then you surround those guys with the necessary complementary players, maybe you have a one scorer off the bench, uh, a couple of efficient uh, cutters and shooters and spot-up guys, things of that nature, but... Beyond that, I don't have any problem with what I've seen from Jamal over this past year that really dissuades me from thinking that he can get to that level. Yeah, the only question I would have is if he can get his three-point shooting up a bit. I mean, I think I would really like to see 40% shooters from three around Jokic. Um, And I I just feel like that's where the game has gone anyways. And with a, a passing point center like we have, those guys are going to get open shots. You know, anybody that can shoot <laughs> playing with Jokic is going to get an open shot pretty much. And so I'd like to see some more consistency there. I think he's got the ability to do it. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure why he's sort of flatlined. Um, we haven't really seen a whole lot of improvement there from three yet. So, so hoping, I can, I can give year. you I can give you a couple of data points as to why uh, his catch and shoot three point percentage this past year was 39 percent. Is actually really good. That's a that's a good number. That's yeah, pretty much in line with where he was over the past couple of years. He did shoot forty two percent from three on catch and shoot threes during his second season. So he is capable, and he can get to that level. And it's probably it like if it's on the margins that you have to improve there. So maybe if he gets back over forty percent on catch and shoots, then that that helps a little bit. But his main issue is the fact that his dribble threes have not been as efficient as they can be. And those are always going to be tougher shots. Those are always going to be lesser efficiency just because of the the, the situation that you're in and the, the amount of pressure that you're in off the dribble to actually hit those shots. He was down at about 31%, which isn't really that bad. But the problem is that he takes a lot of those. And he's That's actually taken, shot, yeah. he's taken more off dribble threes as opposed to more spot-up threes. So having another guy in Porter that really draws a lot of attention having a guy in Grant who can really draw a little bit of attention as a three-point shooter maybe it gives a little bit more space for Murray to make make that leap but that's where I would say his next jump has to come is he has to hit his off the dribble threes at a better clip or he has to shoot less of them well, and I think the big thing too that that really ties into that is he's got to become he's he's got to be better at creating space for himself off the dribble. Like that's that's been I think a, a criticism of Jamal throughout his NBA career. He's not the quickest guy in terms of ball handling. He's not the shiftiest guy. And it's a lot of times he it looks like he you know he tries to be that guy, but it just he doesn't fool very many people. And then he gets himself into these positions where he has to take these. Really, like, his off-the-dribble shots are, I would say, tougher than the average off-the-dribble shot, right? Like, he he doesn't get a ton of separation, and he still makes them because he's an excellent shooter. But, I mean, right, we've seen that, that photo from, and that wasn't a three, but we've seen that photo in the uh, the playoffs last year against the Blazers where he hit that shot that was basically over the backboard, you know? And, like, that's the kind of right. shots that he gets off the dribble. And it's, yeah, 31% from three off the dribble on those kind of opportunities, that's great, man, but, like, but you shouldn't be taking them that many, and you, and and if you're going or if you're gonna do that, then you're gonna have to find a way to create more separation with your dribble moves than you do right now. 
Yeah, and then the other issue uh, Jeremy and I on the dig have been harping on for a while now is his inability to draw fouls. And I, yeah. I feel like that is a consistent problem for somebody who shoots like 90% from the line. You know, if you have that kind of ability as a free throw shooter, you've got to work on being able to draw fouls regularly. Right. Um, you know, watching some of these old games with like Chauncey Billups, it kind of reminded me of that. You know, he knew how to get fouls and he was such a good foul shooter that he- that was a huge asset. Chauncey did the fake and rake before James Harden made it cool. Yeah. Like, that was that was one of his signatures. That was something that Melo, it took him a while to learn, too. He, he eventually got it and got quite good at getting to the foul or the free throw line. But there was a while there where, yeah, Melo was the same way. Like, a guy who's got great scoring talent, um, but for some reason is not trying to emphasize one of the most efficient um, ways to get points. And, and Jamal does the same thing. I totally agree with you on that. And those two things, like you just said, Ryan, if he took, if he took better – better quality threes that are he's more likely to make and if he could get his free throws up to you know even five or six a game he's most likely gonna you know make him he's, he shoots him at a high clip like now we are talking about a guy shooting you know scoring 22 23 24 points a game it's not that much of a jump it's not that much of a a leap i would say to say that he can get to that level and what you said to me right there that he needs to get to the free throw line What that says to me personally is that he needs to get in the weight room and get stronger. He is, his body type has the ability to take on a little bit more extra weight. And it would probably be better for him in terms of post defense, in terms of dealing with some bigger guys. That to me makes sense for him both offensively and defensively because whoever the Nuggets have at the shooting guard, whether it's Gary Harris, whether it's somebody else, ideally you'd want them to defend the opposing team's best creator no matter what which is more often than not, that's a point guard. So then Jamal Murray's defending shooting guards, and he has to be bigger and stronger in order to do that. So that would be my my first thought there, is that if if this is, this is probably a tough situation to not have to play and to not get a playoffs, because I think that's a really important data point for Murray's career uh, to see whether he can improve off of last year. But if there's any consolation, I hope that he uses this time to get in the gym and get stronger because he could really be very effective as a as a foul drawer, as somebody who can get to the free throw line and then shoot 90% when he gets there. So uh, let's talk about Grant really quickly before we head to another break. Uh, I found this stat really interesting. With Jokic on the floor, Jeremy Grant shot 32% from three this year. With Jokic off the floor, Grant shot 46% from three. So what that says to me is not, oh man, he's not bad. he's not good with Jokic. It's that he wasn't as comfortable in those situations, but when he had the ability to just space the floor and get comfortable and he knew that he had to be on the perimeter because Plumlee was in the paint, then he was just firing. He was just catching and shooting and he was at a very high level. I don't think that 32% number with Grant is going to stick. I think he has the potential to be a 42% three-point shooter in Denver's starting lineup next year if he gets that opportunity. Uh, What do you guys think about Grant's long-term future with Denver? Uh, Start with Zach. I mean, I like his – I'm not sure about 42%. That's – Paul Millsap's doing it this year, so I guess – it certainly could. Um, it certainly could happen. I yeah. I don't know. That's kind of a weird stat because because again, Paul Millsap, who plays next to Jokic all the time, is is shooting um, lights out from three. 
this season. So it, it's not, you know, at first you think, well, maybe he's having a harder time playing with Jokic because Jokic, like, I mean, like you pointed out, he's not down in the paint as much. And so maybe uh, there's not as many defenders that are sucked down there that are giving uh, giving Grant open shots out at the perimeter. But I don't really think that's the case because I don't think too many people are worried about Mason Plumlee as a threat on offense no matter where he is on the court. Um, so... I, I think you're right on that, that that it's just kind of a comfort level thing. And I think we've seen that a lot. When you know when Paul was hurt and, and Jeremy was playing in the starting lineup, um, he played very well, I thought. I thought he looked really good. I like him as the as a starting forward. I think if you're looking at this team long term, then you're probably planning on Michael Porter Jr. as a starter as well. And I like the way those two work together. Ryan, you brought it up on, on your Nuggets numbers pod about how you can use, you know, as to how, you know, Jeremy Grant is more of your your kind of offensive um, small forward, right? But defensive power forward, right? That's that's the way you were. You uh, were switch, making, it, switch, switch it. Yeah, okay, because that, that's what makes more sense, right? Yeah, so, um, and and I like the way that works. I thought that, that was a great point because you get, um, you get, you get Jeremy out with his length and quickness on defense out there on the perimeter. You get Michael Porter Jr.'s rebounding down low, and then you can switch it around. Um, and Jeremy can kind of do both, be that 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 pick and roll um, lob threat as well as that stretch four, and Michael Porter Jr. just becomes your scoring three, who's an automatic mismatch no matter what. Um, that's you that's know, a, a really good combination of forwards. You know what's interesting about that, and I'll let I'll get you Nick just in a second, but Michael Malone didn't use it that way. It was it was very odd to me this year that when they were on the floor. Uh, coming off the bench, especially over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was defending the wing and Jeremy Grant was defending the four. And I just didn't get it because yeah. you have a guy in Grant who you want to use as your as your LeBron James defender, your Kawhi Leonard defender, guys like that, guys who are more perimeter-oriented but can get to the paint. Michael Porter Jr., isn't. he's not going to keep up with a guy like Jeremy Lamb from the uh, – from the Indiana Pacers. Like, that's just not who he is. He's not going to chase them around screens. But Jeremy Grant can do that. He's athletic enough to do that. He's small enough to do that. Uh, so that, that was just an aside. But I was just very – it was very off-putting that that was the way that they were being used. I didn't like it. I agree. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of, uh, to be honest, a lot of how we've seen Michael Porter Jr. used, particularly on offense um, as well. He really – it seems like a lot of times it's like, well, the guy can shoot and he's 6'10". So I guess we'll make him a stretch four and go send him in the corner and just have him, you know, sit there and wait, um, and and wait for a kick out and like that. I mean, sure he can do that, but like it just seems like such a waste of of the talents that that, that he brings to the table. That it's it, it's it's just it's been a curious. I'm a, I'm a for the most part a pretty big Coach Malone supporter. I've the Michael Porter Jr. thing. I've been I I get where he's coming from as an old school coach. This is this is nothing new. Rookies not getting a ton of minutes and just being given little tiny roles when they do get minutes like that's uh, is as old school as old school gets in coaching. But um, at some point, like it's just like man, we gotta we gotta get past that. And it's just the way coaches, right? We saw it with Jokic, like he's he yeah. he took him a long time to adapt to that, but he did, and he maximized it, and he really has turned helped uh, turn Nikola Jokic into a, a one of the best stars in the league. So. Um, I have faith that it'll get done, but yeah, it's it's frustrating to go through the process. Nick, go ahead. Uh, you did you have any thoughts on Jeremy Grant before we kick it to another break? Yeah, I mean, I I'm 
I'm on team Grant. I really like him moving forward on this team. Um, you know, for the season, after 64 games, he ended up at 47% from the field and 40% from three, even with that kind of weird outlier number playing with Jokic that you pointed out. You know, he's still a 40% three-point shooter uh, in total. So, I, I and that's what he was last year. He was at 39 for OKC. You know, totally different team, obviously, totally different makeup there. So, I, I think he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's athletic. Um, he he's shown the ability to 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 play really good defense when he when when he's really engaged, um, and he and he feels like he's playing a, a vital role on the team. I think that seems to be something important for him. I feel like when he's playing, you know, kind of with the bench, um, especially against inferior competition, I feel like he kind of, I don't know, he he seems to sort of check out a little bit. But I feel like when no, he I was playing with, with the starters. I yeah, think you're I think, right about that. I think that that that's not something that I had thought about before, but it definitely seems like he was better with a large role as opposed to a 20 minute per game role. Yeah, and I felt the same way about Michael Porter Jr. too. It's like you you know you put these guys against better competition, it brings out their competitor. You know when you you, you play him against you know Michael Porter Jr. is out there playing against I don't know. I mean any, everybody in the NBA is good. I don't mean to like you know <laughs> like disparage anyone in particular, but. Oh, no, I, let's be honest. You know, like, they think, struggle with the Cavs and the Warriors and teams like right. that. Like, that was the entire story of this season. Right. Like, and, I mean, like, it's just it's just human nature, you know? Well, at least for this team, uh, especially. They don't have that, like, yeah, let's step on the weak team, you know, and step on their throat. It's it, They play down to their competition. They always they always have this group. Um, and that's a problem that they need to, to work through. But I, I feel like the Michael Porter Jr. that I, like, I saw – play in January when this team was up against, you know, had their up against the wall with all the injuries. And we saw a guy, you know, who could put up 25 and 10 without even really looking like he was exerting himself <laughs> too strenuously. I mean, not nothing right. he wasn't playing hard, but I mean, you know, it, it came easy to him. Um, that's, that's what I don't understand this to, to pair what you were saying, Zach, about your frustration with Malone a little bit here. Like, that's why I don't understand Malone's handling of MPJ largely like, it just seemed like too many mind games or something or too much like old school bravado or just the way this is done or or whatever and not enough of recognition that we have a super talented player here who we have to get involved in this thing as quickly as possible because of, of how much he ups our ceiling. And I, I, I at times in the season, I almost feel like Malone felt he almost just seemed to me to be like annoyed that he even had to add like a new piece into the team. It was like, like he just wanted to run with the guys that he he had and, and was bothered by this, this like wrinkle. Cause he, he sort of admitted that he didn't really do a good job. on um, getting Jeremy Grant involved, uh, you know, in the first part of the season either. Um, he, he straight up said that a, at a press conference that he took some blame for that. So I don't know. He's got, he's got some issues. I think adjusting with new, you know, new talent. I think that's it. it yeah. And I, I think it's because he's so focused on defense and he wants his defense to run like this, like well-oiled machine. And when you add in new parts, it just sort of throws wrinkles in there. And then you add in a guy like Michael Porter jr. Who's not a great defensive player, obviously. And it just gets really tough for him um, to, to, to sort of justify how to, how to get him in and, and, and to overlook some of his mistakes and things. But like the talent is just too undeniable. It's, uh, I I don't know. I plenty has been said about this, so I don't need to go off on that. But it's it's one of the reasons why I think we're in line for at least one trade in the off season. So when we come back, we'll talk about some of the hypotheticals for the rest of the Nuggets season, even if they finish, and and what that would mean for the Nuggets going forward. We'll be right back.
Alright, we're back. This is the Denver Stiff Show. I'm Ryan Blackburn, joined today by Zach Mikosh and Nick Herzog over Skype. Uh, so let's get into some hypotheticals for the rest of this Nuggets season, because I think that's an interesting topic. We don't know when the season's going to come back. There have been a lot of scenarios that have been floated around about when the season should return, what happens when the season returns, things of that nature. I don't want to speculate too much on it, but what I, I do want to talk about what happens if it doesn't come back, what happens if it does come back. So let's say it doesn't come back. Let's say let's say they decide, okay, it's not good enough. We are going to forego the rest of the season, and we are just going to pick things up in October of next year. Uh, which players on this roster do you think would be the most affected by that decision? Let's start with Nick this time. Uh, I mean, first thought that enters my mind is Gary Harris um I think I think he really could have used a strong playoff performance to help his stock going into next year or potentially to hold off on you know him him being in some sort of trade discussions in the offseason to my mind you were talking about your kind of ideal lineup earlier with MPJ Grant Jokic Murray to me the the fifth player there I I think is probably Barton over over Gary Harris, unless we get the Gary Harris from two, three years ago. If we get that guy back at some point, then this is a different conversation. But the Gary Harris that we've had the last, you know, season roughly worth of games, I don't know, whatever, whatever it ended up being last year and this year, um, that he was healthy, uh, has has not been that that same guy. And we did see a little bit of, a, of, of him turning the corner here right at the end of the last you know, 10 games or so, his three-point shooting was starting to come around. I think it would, if that would have continued into the playoffs and we saw the old Gary or or some sort of a, you know, really defensive um, stalwart Harris in the playoffs who was able to hit some, some big threes and stuff, I think it would have kind of cemented his role. As it is right now, I think if we don't have the playoffs and we go into next year, I think there's some question marks there. Yeah, I definitely hear that with you. And and you mentioned Barton versus Harris as kind of the that shooting guard. I'm not sure if I would pencil in Barton as that guy, just because if you're if you're trying to build a team that's in line for a championship, I think you need a number of versatile wings and guards that can defend. And I just don't think that Barton is going to be that guy. Uh, you need a guy who can help Murray guard guys like Damian Lillard and James Harden and pieces of that nature. I'm not sure if Barton is that guy. I'm not sure if Harris is that guy either. I, I don't know if he's if he's big enough and if there are enough matchups that he makes sense for. But this playoffs would have helped both of those guys kind of figure, or at least the Nuggets front office and coaching staff, kind of figure out which of those players really fits in that situation, which of those players could really make sense. Because I don't think that shooting guard needs to be a great offensive player. I do think that they need to be a pretty good defensive player. So... Uh, Zach, what about you? Who who do you think is most affected by this uh, if if the season doesn't come back? Uh, my my initial thoughts are the guys who are about to be free agents. So Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, uh, Mason Plumley. Millsap, I think in in, in Plumley, um, in quite a bit are are well Millsap. There was probably no there. It was, it was almost impossible. In fact, it pretty much is impossible for him to not be taking a pay cut after this year. Um, but Plumlee was maybe a guy who could like you know if he if he continued to play strong and and maybe had some good performances in the playoffs or or just proved his worth of hey yeah you know what this guy's backing up in Denver 
But as we've a lot of times people said, you know, he might be the best backup center in in the league. That was a guy who who was coming off an injury, and I thought maybe you know needed a little momentum to help him with his next contract. Uh, so if the season is done, then um, that's going to be tough. Millsap, the same thing, coming off that injury. He's at least got the three-point shooting number that everybody will be looking at uh, and, and will be thinking, hey, this guy, yeah, he's you know 36 or whatever, but he can still shoot the three, obviously, so that might still help him a little bit. And then with Jeremy right. Grant, a guy who uh, it's really hard to p- figure out kind of where he's going to be at in terms of his contract. I think he'll probably get close to what Gary Harris is getting in terms of money. Um, at least I think that's where the Nuggets should try and or should be willing to go in order to keep Jeremy Grant. But this is a guy who, you know, if he had if he had had the opportunity, he was really finding his groove. And um, who knows? Maybe there, the adjustment is made. Sometimes the playoffs. I was had said on pods that I thought it would be that he would be the guy who would make the adjustment where you enter him into the starting lineup at some point. You know, he could have been the guy who pushed into the twenty somewhere in the twenty million. Uh, dollar range in terms of annual value for his contract. I think without that that opportunity now, he probably is is you know a good five million or so below that. So it, for for guys who are trying to make that last statement um, before they're out to be out, about to be on the market, I think this it certainly hurts them the most. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm totally with you on Jeremy Grant. He was a guy who we've actually discussed on podcast before, might be the third most playoff-ready nugget, uh, somebody that we are really like passionate could could be good in that situation, uh, no matter right. no matter what situation that is. Uh, it would be Jokic, it would be Murray, and then I think Jeremy Grant has a, as good of a chance as anybody on this roster to make a statement that he could be the third most important playoff player because of simply of the players that he can defend and the fact that he shoots 40% from three. Uh, so it's a it's a fascinating discussion, and I'm glad that we all came down kind of differently on this uh, because you you were more focused on the the players who have a lot of their money really affected by it. I'll say Tory Craig is another guy that I yeah, think is interesting in this discussion. Uh, he is also going to he's going to be a restricted free agent, and he's a guy that the Nuggets may not choose to bring back if they really go forward with Michael Porter Jr. What I will say is that when you come up with different lineups and different guys that would make sense with Murray, Porter, Craig, and Jokic. Torrey Craig's not bad. Torrey Craig's not a bad option there as that fifth guy. And he, he would be relatively cheap. He would be a defensive specialist, kind of your Dante Jones in that situation where you're really your defensive first guy who defends all of the top assignments at the beginning. Uh, if you surround him with Murray, Porter, and Grant as three-point shooters, then it's less impactful uh, offensively. So I think that's a fascinating discussion. And if he had shot 40% from three in the playoffs again, then maybe that changes a lot of people's minds. Uh, but doesn't look like that's going to happen, I don't think. Uh, another two guys I'll say, Michael Porter Jr., I think you you want to see what he could do in a playoff situation. And then Jamal Murray, you want to see what he can do in capitalizing on what his playoff performance was last year because he did play pretty well, but he wasn't perfect. And you would want to see if he could be a little bit more consistent in that situation going into the playoffs this season. Uh but all good, all good answers. I think the Nuggets had a lot of questions about them and a lot of players that, that really had a lot riding on the playoffs this season. So it's interesting that we all came down on that differently. Uh, but let's say the season ended and the playoffs immediately started. 
let's say the Nuggets are in a situation right now where they've played 64, 65 games and they're the three seed. They would face the Houston Rockets in the first round. Let's say the NBA just decided, okay, we're going to forego the rest of the regular season. Your uh, playoff positioning is your seeding for the playoffs right now. Uh, your standings currently are the, the playoff seedings. Uh, how would the Nuggets fare if the first games that they would have to play uh, coming out of the break were against the Houston Rockets, and would they be able to win that series? Uh, start so with think, Nick. Okay. Ha. Oh, yeah. So I love, <laughs> Shut down. Uh, I love everything about that matchup. Uh, give me P.J. Tucker guarding Jokic for a seven-game series all, all day long. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe they can rotate in uh, one of their bigs at the end of their bench that they don't ever play to guard Jokic. I can't imagine that happening, though. So they're going to go total small ball against one of the the most dominant big man in the league um i i just i don't see it i like i yeah well i've never been a uh, a westbrook fan as anyone who's ever listened to the dig knows um not not a guy in my uh in, in my wheelhouse i will give him a lot of credit though this year um he finally stopped shooting threes which i've said for like five years now if he just didn't shoot threes i wouldn't have such an issue with him the problem was he shot like six or seven a game and he can't make them um, but, uh, West brick took a step back this year a little bit and he started, um, playing, you know, more like just like a slashing guard and a playmaker. And he was fantastic. The last, I don't know, you know, second half of the season, um, basically his numbers are pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so that For concerns sure. me a little bit. If he kept, if he keeps that going in a playoff series and, and, and stays in his lane in that role, uh, they become more dangerous for sure. Um, but I just, I feel like in order for the Rockets to win that series, they have to just go bonkers from three. I mean, they have, they, they would have to be shooting as a team, you know, a, a really high clip 38% or something for like seven games in a row to win that series. Or I, I just don't see, I just don't see how they can, they'd have any answer for Jokic. And then, I mean, I guess the other question mark would be, will, would, is Jokic willing to just take over? A series. I mean, we know he can do it for a single game. Is he willing to score like forty a night? You know, in a matchup like that, because he easily could. Sure, uh, Zach. What do you think? How do you think? Uh, actually, how do you think uh, Nikola Jokic and James Harden would be affected if they just had to immediately come back from whatever they're doing uh, and and come play a playoff game? Well, as we've seen from uh, Jokic's most recent video there. Um, on on social distancing, he's first gonna have to shave, which will <laughs> probably only take him about he three looks seconds. It's, it's not it's not a good look. <laughs> I don't know what that patchy scraggly thing was, but um, uh, other I mean, it's a concern for me on Jokic how he would come back, how how he, in shape is he gonna stay during this time period? And and I said this on on my part on the pickaxe on Monday. I, I was a staunch defender of Jokic at the beginning of the season. I believe I, I think I, I wrote an article titled "We Should All Shut Up About Nikola Jokic's You Know Fitness or Body or Shape or something like that." Um, but the guy, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? He lost twenty five pounds from from October to to December playing basketball. So clearly, um, he was not in the best of shape when he came back. And and I wa- and we saw him struggle, right? He he wasn't at his most effective at the beginning of the year. So. I worry about that and how him coming back. James Harden, I think that guy's he'll be fine. He's just a machine, a scoring and well, he's a foul drawing and flopping machine, and that 
um, that I don't expect to change. I think the yeah, you don't lose that with uh, some weight gain. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it would be interesting <laughs> to see. I mean, that's I mean, and that's I think uh, the story on a lot of guys is how are they going to stay in shape? Because not only is it like, well, you're not allowed to play basketball, you're not allowed to go to the facility, you can't go to a 24 hour fitness, like you can't go anywhere, man. Like you got to have to find out how you can stay in shape at your house, and that's can't go to that's the club. a challenge. You can't, that that yeah. is true. You got, you got nothing else going on. But and for a lot of guys, that might be like that might drive them crazy, and so they might just work out like eight hours a day just to get through it. For Jokic, I mean, I'm guessing he's going to eat good. He's going to watch TV show, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, play a little Call of Duty. It's a really good point, Zach. Well, actually, okay, I'll say, or you might, well, you might watch Pokemon for five hours, but you know, there's yeah, there's I some think... concern there. In my uh, my analysis, um, I'm I'm assuming basketball is normal, but I think that's a good point. Like we're we're not gonna get basketball resuming as normal. We're gonna get some sort of a weird unless they unless they're able to play like ten games or fifteen games right. before the playoffs, or do some sort of like training camp, something yeah pre-season. to get back in shape. If they just if they just have to do the playoffs only, we're gonna get some weird stuff. Like I. At that point, to me, I th- all predictions go out the window. Like I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't predict the Lakers making the Lakers or Clippers making the finals at that point. I mean, I really just feel like we have no idea what will happen. Um, I, I, I would tend to think that somebody like LeBron is, is going to be ready to go, where other younger teams might not quite have the same focus um, or discipline that that he's shown. Um, so they probably would still be the favorites, but like, I, I don't know. I just, I think it could be a, <laughs> just a total wild ride and I wouldn't be surprised by a lot of big upsets at all. Yeah. And it, it makes it interesting that a lot of Denver's decision-making during the off season really hinged on what they would do during the playoffs, really hinged on which players would come to play, which of these guys are in the best position to win and which guys put them in the best position on a consistent basis against the top of the top against the creme de la creme of the league. Uh, How does defending James Harden work out for a lot of these guys, which I think it would be a very interesting conversation. And even Russell Westbrook to a degree, like Torrey Craig's been great, but he's not going to be perfect against Russell Westbrook. And we'll see, we would see what happens in that situation. But so let's say, let's say this team either lost a first round series or they weren't competitive at all in the second round against the, against a Clippers team uh, or against whoever, whoever they, it would most likely be the Clippers in the second round. Uh, what happens? Like what can this team make big scale decisions on, on where they would go? Uh, would they be willing to trade pieces just based off of how, how things happened? And given the fact that basketball is going to get super weird and you don't know how things are going to go. Uh, start with Zach. Yeah, it's going to be tougher um, because you're going to have to take everything with a grain of salt, right? Because this is this is not obviously a normal season in any way, and this is not something that you can look at and try and look at too many trends from because this, hopefully, cross fingers, never happens again, um, at least in our lifetime. So it's 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 tough but i think if you're looking at what kind of moves i mean let's get the let's get the first one out of the way for all the listeners who are who are hoping this is you know that we're going to say this but i'll i'll just go ahead and disappoint you right now there is zero the nuggets could get swept in the first round there is 0% chance michael malone is fired i'm 100% confident of that especially now like maybe maybe if they had played the full season 
something crazy could have happened, you know, but now like there, there's, there's just no way. So he'll, that sweeping change is not going to come. So it's going to have to come um, with the roster. And I think the guy you look at is Gary Harris, because we heard they were willing to move him at the deadline. I don't know that, that you, you would have your opinion would really change all that much. And I don't know if you're really going to say, well, do I want to ride it out? The question is, what can you really get for Gary Harris? Because he didn't get that opportunity. We saw right at the All-Star break, he was starting to get a little more consistent. He wasn't shooting a ton, but at least he was shooting efficiently. But now that's all gone. So, like, most people are going to look at this season and like, ugh. And you're paying that guy 17 up to $19 million a year. Like, that's not it's not somebody I want to give up assets for. So, that, that could hurt them. If you were able to come back and play some playoffs and he looked good then maybe you could be able to, you know, even if your team's still lost, maybe that's the guy you look at moving. I just don't see otherwise how they're going to make much in the way of changes because the the guys that are still under contract next year are guys that are going to be part of your core. And the guys who are not under contract next year were the guys that you would think, well, these are kind of movable pieces or maybe players that aren't as vital of, of playing a role for the team. So it's, it's very tough to see them making changes, and I, I kind of expect them to run it back. The one thing I think you look at is Gary Harris, but otherwise, I mean, I expect Will Barton to be back. I always expect Murray and Jokic to be back. Um, I expect them to re-sign Jeremy Grant. I think that's priority number one in the offseason. And, and then you go Michael Porter Jr., and you fill in the rest around him. You know, But it, there's just not a ton of that I think they can do in terms of trades that it's going to bring a substantial difference to the team, at least with where the season sits right now. Nick, what yeah, do you I think? I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, there's just not. It's the un, really unfortunate part about this season. I think for a young, a young team on the rise is not getting this really valuable playoff experience if they don't if they don't get it. And, well, or under your hypothetical, if the, you know they go out in the first round or something, I I just I'm not going to put that much stock in what happens. I don't think I, I like it's it's hard enough to win in the playoffs when things are are going well when you're gelling going into the playoffs. You know, take a young team and put them in this kind of a situation that they've nobody's ever dealt with before, um, and then and then throw them into that kind of a elite competition. I, I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot about them. I, I we might if they were able to win a series, like let's say, I don't know, let's say they swept the Rockets and took the Clippers to seven under those conditions, then I think we do learn something uh, about what we have here. I mean, we, we'd see how how the individual performances you know, played out, but they, they would have obviously had to have gotten a lot of good ones if, for something like that to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, we might, we might learn something on the positive end of it, the negative end, not so much, I don't think. And I, to me, I guess overall, like, I think now that I've had a little distance for a few weeks here on this team and we're kind of away, away from the, the grind of the regular season and all the like kind of day-to-day ups and downs, I feel like I, I've developed more patience with this group and just kind of taking the approach that we need to give them a few years to just see what we have. Like I was saying earlier about Murray and not really knowing, you know, is this kind of, it has Murray sort of peaked. Is this kind of what we can expect from him for his career? Or does he have two or three more steps to go? Um, you know, can he get to a, a point where he's like a, you know, an all-star? I feel like that about a lot of guys on this team. Like I'm not even totally convinced we've seen peak Jokic yet um, as, as great as, as he's been, does he have, you know, another, another gear to go? Uh, MPJ obviously needs a lot of work, but has a ton of potential. Um, even Grant is a, is a pretty young player and probably could still improve. So I, I think for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of all okay with 
staying the course for for maybe two or three more seasons with this group and and getting some more data about if these guys can win together and i think there's something to be said for that continuity with maybe the exception of of gary harris if we get you know maybe he gets one more year after that i think if if we see a repeat of the last two i think you have to start you know making some tough calls there but yeah here's here's what i'll say uh Michael Porter Jr. and his jump into the the picture, it kind of changed everything about this Nuggets team and, and what they have to do to be the best version of themselves that they can be because that version didn't exist before what Michael Porter Jr. showed. Yeah, he right. showed that he can be a 20-point-per-game scorer or maybe even more than that at the forward position and be somebody who is extremely dangerous, very efficient, rebounds very well. And to me, that changed the calculus on on what's going on. And you guys mentioned it earlier when you you didn't necessarily know what Michael Malone was thinking when he wasn't playing somebody like Porter. I think there's a lot of locker room dynamics that go into that and say, hey, Will Barton is 30 years old. Gary Harris is going to be 26 next year. These guys are veterans in the league and have earned their spots and it's taken them a lot of time and... In 40 games, it, midway through the season, it would be hard to uh, not necessarily start Michael Porter Jr., but have somebody like that really cut into their minutes, really cut into their time, because they had to grind for it. They had to really uh, go the distance for that and prove themselves as starters, and it was a long climb, and they finally made it, and you can't just change that without changing the personnel, so... My opinion, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'm kind of leaning this way that one of Gary Harris or Will Barton is traded this offseason, almost 95% sure, uh, just because I don't expect things to work out very well if one of those guys is sent to the bench while Michael Porter Jr. is in the starting lineup. And whether Will Barton is the starter at shooting guard, I don't know if he necessarily fits as that. He, he'd be a good player, but I don't know if he's the, the guy that the Nuggets need. Uh, or whether Gary Harris is that guy, and I think he's a little bit closer to that just based off of what he could be, not necessarily what he has been. But I'm a little bit worried about both of those guys uh, in terms of the long-term future of this group. If you if you feel confident that Murray Porter Jokic is the direction that you want to go, and you feel confident that Jeremy Grant is a good complementary piece there, I think a lot of change has to happen, and whether that's letting Millsap walk, whether that is trading Barton or Harris, whether that's letting Plumley walk, whether it's letting Craig walk, they already let Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez go. I just think this team could look very different whether we wanted to or not. So it's it's going to be really interesting. I, I think if, if they were successful this year, if they won a second-round series or were very competitive, then maybe they run it back. But in that situation, if if they look like they aren't there, then I think they take some steps to try and get there. Yeah, I totally agree with you about – at this point, I feel like it's, it's Harris or Barton. I think you kind of have to pick one or the other. Yep, I totally agree too. And I, I get what you're saying too, Ryan. I mean, it's like – you know, Will Barton has been better on defense this year, but he's not, not what you would look at as a guy as a term of a, a defensive stopper. Um like you would Gary Harris, but Gary Harris is what like six foot four, so that's the that's that's the the trade off that that you're given there. So um, 
ideally, right, it's, it's. I mean, I'm with you when you said Torrey Craig, and a lot, a lot of ways Torrey Craig makes sense as your starting shooting guard if you've got Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant, Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic as the other guys, because you that's what the Nuggets have to find. If, if they can develop Michael Porter Jr. into a player who's an offensive threat, um, the way he looks like he can be, and they can find a way to make him and Murray and Jokic be able to work and flow on offense together, you you've got Grant there, you know, knocking down spot up jumpers, um, doing pick and rolls when when you need him to, and, and finishing lobs, cleaning up on the offensive glass. Hopefully, a little bit. You certainly will probably have Porter cleaning up on the offensive glass. Um, you don't really need a ton of offense out of that shooting guard position. Like you've you've got your shooting covered, you've got your scoring covered, you've got your playmaking covered by all of these other guys. You need a guy who can lock down someone and. You know, if, if Torrey Craig could just shoot like 37% from three on average, you'd, you'd take it all day long. Yeah, but that's my issue is that he just needs to be efficient. I, right. not, it's not about total numbers with him. It's just can he keep a defense honest? Because if you have a guy out there that they do not have to defend, it just makes things so much more difficult than everyone else. And that's the real problem I have um, with even like with, with Gary Harris this year. Is it's, it's just made life harder on everyone else. Right. It's not so much about his like, you know, total points per game. That's the issue. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. It's one of the reasons why I think a trade is going to happen. Why I think I don't know if that guy is on this roster. I don't know if that right, guy makes sense. A, a couple of the guys that I think make sense in the league are Matisse Tybel on the Sixers and Mikhail awesome. Bridges on the Suns. Awesome. Uh, those are kind of the the types that I'm looking at. But without getting too deep into those weeds, I just think it make it it at least should be something in the back of the minds of Nuggets fans that. The front office may go a completely different direction. They may go in a situation where they know that they can build around Murray, Jokic, and Porter. They make the investment that Jeremy Grant is the fourth starter, and then they go find the fifth. Uh, or they could just settle for Tory Craig and say, hey, this is the this is the best way for us to do it in the most efficient way possible. It may not be the perfect thing, but that's the guy that we go with. Or maybe they go with Gary Harris and say, hey, we know that you're not that big, and we know that... Uh, we know that things aren't going to be perfect, and we know that the money is kind of an issue, but you could be the guy who helps defend Damian Lillard, and you could also get back to shooting 37% from three, at least at a more likely clip than Torrey Craig can. So there's just a lot of different ways that they can go, and I think that's that's probably the most interesting thing about this offseason is that if you make the one decision that I think we're th- we think they're going to make with inserting Michael Porter Jr. into that main rotation, into that starting lineup, then it j- everything just spirals from, from there. Everything changes. So it's going to be fascinating. Uh, do you guys have any parting thoughts about that, about who the the final roster or the final starter should be, uh, et cetera? At the end of this year? Like in the playoffs? or Oh, no, like like going into the future seasons. Yeah, I mean, I something I, I think Millsap is gone. I, I just I don't think he's going to be worth the money. Some, you know, probably bad team will be willing to overpay well, to what bring in some things, better leadership. One of two and things then, happens with Millsap. He either either goes to a team who's willing to pay him more than a bad team or a team that's because the Nuggets are going to be able to offer him like the MLE um, or that's going to be at or another team who's going to offer him the same money, but it's going to be like the Clippers or the Lakers or the Bucks, somebody who right. feels he's got a better chance to win a ring with. Yeah, no, totally. And either way, I, I don't think he's a starter anyway. Um, so, yeah, so I like I like the idea of Grant moving forward. Uh, obviously, MPJ, I think, 
needs to be in the starting lineup um, moving forward. And as you said, that that throws a wrench at shooting guard, basically. And so then it's just pick your flip a coin. Um, do you prefer Garris or, uh, or Barton or or some third option like Tory Craig or a free agent? Um, I would say I think right now, based on the if, if we just go with the Nuggets have the same players going into next year, I probably take Barton. At, at starting starting shooting guard because he's a little taller. He's shown an ability to play some pretty good one on one defense um, in isolation. And I, I I don't know. It's it's tough, but I, it's not it's not my ideal scenario. So I'm I'm hoping they make you know maybe some kind of move there. Or can if nothing else, like you're suggesting, yeah, Ryan, save save some money and and start Tory Craig. It's you know it's there's um. It's kind of weird because we always thought Gary Harris was the third guy in the big three, right? And then this year, I think, has really right. kind of shown us that's probably not the case. And and the, there was always the issue of, well, if we're going to have that as our big three, then we're going to be undersized on the wings, particularly if we're going to keep playing um, Will Barton out there as small forward. And and it's now come to the situation where you look at that position and you're like, this is, this is the one that's like not working for us. But, you know, you look out there, I mean – Free agency is kind of like there's not a ton. There's not a ton in terms of shooting guards. Yeah, that at least not not a ton in, in terms of shooting guards that are that type of player that we're talking about. You know, if you want to if you want to get a scorer, uh, an inefficient scorer. I mean, those guys are littered all over the place. Um, but otherwise, you're like, well, does Andre Roberson can he come back and be anything close? Or um, is you know what would Kent Bazemore? Um, like, and where is he going to want to be at in terms of money? Like, you know, that's what you're trying to find guys who aren't necessarily great. Like, how do you feel about Rodney Hood? I guess you know these kind of these kind of players. There's no obvious answer in free agency. So if you're going to do that, I think you're going to have to address it with trade, or like Nick said, you're just going to have to kind of run it back, and maybe Torrey Craig is the guy you go with, or Gary Harris, and you and you just see what you can do. It's going to be a fascinating discussion, and it's going to be something that completely changes that that could evolve. That could be completely different from what we're even envisioning right now. Maybe they don't start Michael Porter Jr. Maybe that completely rent, throws a wrench in all of these uh, plans, all of these likely. ramifications. Uh, honestly, does. like honestly, <laughs> oh man, how 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 crazy would that be if after People talking about write. Murray Porter and Jokic that <laughs> that just doesn't happen or they trade him? Well, here's the thing. I, I well, I don't think they'll trade Porter. I just how I just you? can't see see them doing that. I think they. <laughs> You know, with if they were going to trade him, the time to do it would have been at the deadline um, to try and get somebody to make you that push this this season. At this point, you, you're you're going into now his third season. You're getting into his team option years. Like it's it's you, you're going to have to start making decisions about picking up options, and then and then the following season about whether or not to give him an extension. So, like if you were going to move him, I would have I would have already done it. Um, so I don't think they're going to trade him, but I, people I think should be prepared for the idea that that especially if we don't get back, if they end up canceling the season, like there's a good chance Michael Porter Jr. is not starting come opening night in uh, in October there because I I just don't know that Malone would go there and and so yes I expect if that to happen that yeah, there'll be a lot of fire Malone um, posts on Denver Stiffs and comments and uh, <laughs> we'll see a lot of that on Twitter and. You know, it'll just be what we deal with next year. Hopefully, we can avoid the fire Malone articles. That would be a, that would be that would be ideal for me personally. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Nick, do you have anything else before we go? 
Yeah, no, I think I've I think I've made my piece. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Denver Stiff Show, the at-home edition, the quarantine edition. Uh, guys, thank you so much for hopping on with me. Really appreciate talking to both of you. Uh, stay safe when you can. Don't go outside. We hate the sun. Uh, really appreciate you both. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you.